So our goal was how do I make sure that the technology isn't complex? Even if you come up with a new technology, you can't expect people overnight to change. When they have raw passion, but zero execution, that's very tough. Welcome to the Supply Chain Show, featuring compelling interviews with remarkable supply chain leaders. Listen in as our guests share their insights on today's supply chain challenges. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, a principal consultant with Oliver White, teaching companies to transform their business, achieve mind-blowing financial results, and dramatically improve the lives of their employees. Today as our guest, we have Paul Singh, Chief Revenue Officer for Tada Now. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us today, Paul. Let's get started by having you share a quick introduction. Uh, thanks for having me, Crystal, and uh, uh, it is nice to be here. So I think the way I describe myself is that I'm an entrepreneur. I've been in the uh, industry, software industry for, for a number of years, have done multiple startups, have had successes in some and not in others, and have taken a company public, uh, sold other companies, uh, but always there is uh, something new on the technology front that makes life easier. And that's kind of what I focused on. Excellent. Paul, what's the most important thing that we should know about you? You know, I think it's it's like, it's a hard one in, in some sense as to uh, what should I focus on. But, you know, one thing I would say is uh, I'm a very persistent person. When I take something and I go at it until I come to a conclusion that, okay, this isn't going to work, then I might quit. So for example, I started a company uh, in the uh, in the telecom software business and we were doing really, really well. And then suddenly 9-11 came and everything kind of just, you know, in the startup's life got totally taken aback. And at that point, uh, there was a question of, should we quit? Should we not? I felt, hey, we put this thing, we believe in the vision. And so we got to make go of it. And so we continued to persist. And it took us some good four or five years when it sort of seemed like we may not, we may not make it. And then ultimately we ended up going public. So that was a good long 10, 11 years journey. But, you know, with all the ups and downs, we still finally persisted. I would imagine that with that personality and style of persistence, Going into the startup world where you said you've had successes and you've had failures. And I think, by the way, any leader who is doing anything substantial has experienced both. If people have never failed, they're probably not really leading out front. But I imagine with that personality and style, facing a failure in a startup is tough. How do you know when you get to that point to say, yeah, this is over. This isn't going to work. I think it comes with experience, right? And uh, it is something that I don't think any book can teach you. So I actually teach entrepreneurship at Northeastern and uh, University and also at UC Berkeley. And I always say that the whole success comprises of three times passion and two times execution and one time practicality. And if you don't have all three of them in the right mix, it is hard. And this is why when an entrepreneur is only passionate and wants to make the change the world, they don't succeed unless they get a right execution team with them. And when you're coaching young or new entrepreneurs, which factor is usually missing? Uh, execution and practicality. 
because passion is always there, right? If they didn't have the passion, they don't start in the first place. Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes they have passion and they can't express it, which is easier to sort of work around. But when they have raw passion, but zero execution, that's very tough. Tell us about one of these opportunities that you've had either to start up an organization or to transform an organization. Tell us about one of the memories that really stands out to you as being sort of a marquee success or learning experience from your career. You know, there are many ideas like that where, you know, you would have to go through and you would say at every step of the way you learn, like I talked to you about persistence, right? So persistence and what it takes to persist is something you learn. I think sometimes in the early part of your career, you learn, uh, you know, as you're going from an employee to becoming a CEO, there is a very different transition you have to make on how you do things. And the good news is because I kind of rose from the ranks to become a manager and had some failures in becoming the first manager, right? Like everybody does. And so I had learned a lot of that already, but now when you take the transition to becoming that entrepreneur for whom, you know, it's kind of, as I say, it's lonely at the top, right? And you can't confide in everybody openly. So you have to, even when things are not good, you have to make sure that people feel it's, it's good. But I think in the recent past, there have been more realization that it is okay to sort of confide in certain team members of yours and get that people around you and then be truthful. And that might help. But I mean, in the time, you know, five to seven years ago, that was considered, eh, eh, no, no, an entrepreneur should never do that. Um, but I think to answer your question, I think the transition from being an employee to now being the CEO is a major shift in the thinking in how you do things. You know, people talk about culture and all these things that, you know, they are very important. And, you know, what they do is they write a lot of documents to make sure that, hey, you know, this is our culture. But you know what? It doesn't do anything. Culture is what you tell people by examples, not by, you know, just writing. Like if you write, oh, you know, in our company, everybody has to respect everyone. And you as the CEO are coming Every time there is a meeting, you're always late and there are people waiting for you. You don't set that culture because I watch you and say, oh, you said something else, but you do something else. So that becomes a new culture. Right. You've got to walk the talk. Yes. So that's, I think, you know, those are the things you learn that people are watching every little thing you're doing. And that is what becomes the culture, not what you wrote in a book. As I hear you speak, I and brought back to a memory very early in my career, one of my first large leadership roles, I had 103 people on my team and I, I had never had a team that large. And I remember one of my mentors saying something very similar to what you've said. And he said, there may be 103 of them, but there's only one of you. And every single one of them is watching you. They're listening to you and they're going to learn what you expect from them and how you want the team to operate and what the culture is going to be from your example. Yep. 
and we all do these mistakes. I mean, let's be honest, right? We, we can never be perfect. We do these mistakes. Sometimes we have to take things back and, you know, modify the behavior and so on. So that happens a lot and you have to just, you know, roll with the punches. So let's talk about the culture of Tada now. What's it like? So I think uh, uh, Tada now has been around for, uh, you know, as a company, just to sort of give you the background, right? So the company started uh, about 25 years ago as a management consulting company focused on digital transformation. And company has been doing really well in that journey. And then about, about six years ago, our founders said, hey, you know, we keep on doing the same thing again and again. And yes, we make good money, but let's figure out, is there a better way to solve this problem? And so they looked at all the current technological solutions that people were offering and what was sort of broken, if you might, with those solutions. And that's when they invented this whole concept of Tada now and you know the whole platform and how the whole thinking was changed from what it used to be to a new thinking. And the new software company was born. And that's kind of what uh, you know, Tada now is all about. What's it like to work there? If, if we were team members, what, what might we experience day to day? And, and what example are we seeing from you and how you interact that help us understand what it's, what's the culture like? So I think, uh, you know, most of the companies, uh, you know, in COVID time are struggling with remote and all that. But I think this company has been sort of semi-remote always. So people are already kind of used to that mode of working because we have teams distributed everywhere. So I think that has been a, you know, that was probably some learning, but it is not like a huge learning curve that company had to go through. So I think that was really uh, good. And also, I think there are people who have been in the company for years and they sort of really take pride in solving customers' issues. Because that comes from the old background of being the consultants into solving the problems, right? So they're not likely to go in and say, oh, okay, let me just sell you this if you don't need it. So they always sort of say, okay, how do I make sure that the customer problem is solved first? So we always put customer first. And that's really key to kind of the culture of the company. So I want to come back to that solving customer issues. But first, what's with the name? Why do you call it Tada now? You know, there is a saying, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. And I think the same saying goes for data, data everywhere, not a single insight. And we are kind of, you know, the whole world is uh, engrossed in uh, doing more of Tableau and Power BI until cows come home and keeping dashboards and more dashboards and more dashboards. But that's not what is solving our problem. What you really need is some actionable insight that helped me do my job, right? I mean, if you think about a planner, I know a couple of our customers where a planner used to come two hours before their shift starts because they had to deal with so many uh, data points from everywhere to decide what is it that we are going to do today. And after our software, now they probably come five to 10 minutes before because everything is uh, provided to them, if you might, on a silver platter. So, so the company is kind of focused on saying, okay, there is data everywhere, but let's create the magic from the data. And so that magic word was tada, i.e., you know, you gave me the data and I'm showing you this magic. 
But we said, you know, maybe given enough time, everybody can do this magic. So what is so special about us? We can do this magic faster than anybody else can. We can almost show you instantaneous results. And so that's why we were trying to communicate the now. We can do it faster. So that's where Tada Now kind of came through. That's excellent. I, I love it. Data everywhere, but not an insight to be had. I, I face that quite often um, in my own support of organizations that it's no shortage of data. It's no shortage of numbers. You're right. But it's where's the insight? Where's the we like to call it management information. Where's the information that's going to help me actually make the decision? So can you talk to us more about the effort to solve customer issues through actionable insights. What does that actually mean? And how is what we're facing today maybe impacting this? So we're in the middle of this pandemic, COVID-19 has changed just about everything about organizations and how they approach supply chain. So can you talk to us about this link between actionable insights, solving customer issues, and even how the perspective on those things may have changed given our current environment. What is the number one problem in supply chain today? It is a real-time end-to-end visibility. I mean, you would think that that problem should have been solved years ago, right? We bought so much technology, it should have solved it. But no, it didn't. Instead, what happened is we bought 10, 12, 50, 60 systems that don't talk to each other. So now, do you want to invest in making sure that these old systems start to talk to each other or are you better off overlaying a system that can actually communicate with all of these systems and give you kind of that visibility if you might? So that was one thing that we saw. But then the question is, okay, so I can maybe in an ideal world, I can build a data analytics stack which will give me that visibility. Again, I say in an ideal world because it's not an easy job to do. But even if I did that, I still, you know, you solved my spreadsheet problem maybe. What, how do you solve my phone call problem that every time something happens, I don't know if this is wrong, this is what happened. How do I create a system? So if I am an employee, I'm a planner and I want to escalate some issues to my manager, why do I have to go call him or send him five emails and wait for his response or her response? It doesn't make sense. So the system should have that work, workflow where you want to escalate, it automatically escalates to the other person. Today, what we have to do, we have to create another escalation system. So I'm going in multiple places, right? And then there is a, you know, the reason the supply chain has to really think about suppliers as partners, distribution players as partners, not just my own internal thing, right? So once I start looking at them as a partner, I need to figure out how do I collaborate across the ecosystem? Now today, most of the supply chain software is siloed. There is no collaboration that goes on between all these stakeholders in one platform. So those are the things that we thrive in what we offer to the customers. So they are able to do their jobs much more efficiently in a much more automated way. They can reduce you know, all of their costs that are stuck in the system and at the same time, make sure they can produce what they're supposed to be able to do. 
I've heard people use the term digital transformation to describe what you do. Is that a fair term? And if so, tell us what that word means to you. It's kind of interesting, right? There is there is a cartoon I remember where uh, they showed like a big uh, COVID ball coming. And if you asked pre-COVID, digital transformation was always five years away. There was a plan for five years. And COVID forced people to rethink that plan, right? And so COVID did what many CEOs could not do, <laughs> interestingly, right? But let's, let's kind of split the digital transformation into multiple parts, right? Because some companies start at one end, some companies start at the other end, but let's sort of break it down, right? Uh, for many companies, digital transformation started at what I call the distribution end. For others, it started on the production end. And for others, it started on the inbound supply chain end. And for others, it started at the supplier's end. If you really want to do true digital transformation, you need it at all of them, right? So let's talk about each of them and why that happened and why this is really critical, right? So I think the distribution end is probably clearer to most people because there are threats to your business and you want to give, you, give the best customer experience. You don't want to kind of, if you are in the consumer facing products, you don't want to be uh, slaves to Amazon, if you might. And then, by the way, there are equivalent to Amazon services now for all the other products as well. So if you don't start to engage with your customers directly, even if your customers are your distribution partners, I, I call them also your customers. So if you don't find a way to engage with them and improve their customer experience, they're going to go elsewhere. Why? Because somebody else is offering a better experience to them. And that happens to be the Amazon and the likes of Amazon that are coming in with new technology and kind of slowly, slowly impinging on your uh, business. Even if they take away five points of your profit long run, that's not good for your business. So I think the first part of digital transformation that all CEOs kind of understood is, hey, let me do this. Let me improve my customer experience. Now, as soon as you make your, you know, like, I mean, I think the classical example is airlines did that, right? There used to be that black box where there was an agent who actually figured out what kind of things they can offer you and you never had a clue on what to do. But today they opened up that whole thing. Customer experience is mine to grab. I can get good at it and I can figure out where are the, where is the cheapest flight and if I move my time by this and that, I can do all that magic. But why were they able to do it, right? So as soon as you change your first level of changing your distribution, and if your internal systems cannot give me that real-time information, you're going to falter. So therefore, you have to now make sure that your production, your internal systems are producing and giving me that right information. You can't say my product you know, you take an order from me and you say, I will deliver it to you in 24 hours or 24 days, but you don't have a clue whether you can actually do it in 24 days or you're going to do it in 48 days. I mean, this happened in COVID even with Amazon, right? They could not predict. So those are, you know, somewhat unique circumstances, but in general, Amazon tells you they'll deliver it to you on a certain day and they do. 
Why? Because their internal systems are built in such a way they know when the product is available. So then you've got to go into, so how do I smooth out my production? How do I figure out what I can produce on a day-to-day -day basis? My people on the ground have to be digitized in the sense that they have to sort of figure out the systems have to be in place where they can know what they can do on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, obviously they can't do that if their supply chain is not collaborating with them, i.e. they're not getting the material when they're supposed to get. And a lot of times what happens is there was this thing about not treating your suppliers as your partners. You know, companies tend to choose the number one, you know, tier one suppliers as my best partners because I depend on them for 80% of my revenue. The rest of it don't matter. Guess what? It didn't work, right? I mean, one, you know, small $2 chip is holding $100,000 product in the inventory. So it sort of taught you that you can't only worry about tier ones. You got to go to multiple tiers. You got to build a system where you understand not the tier ones and tier twos, even tier threes for that matter, right? Now, after you do that, now suddenly you come into a problem. Your supplier does not really feel that they should collaborate with you. Now, why, right? So sometimes suppliers, I mean, we talked a lot of times to people saying, hey, you know, supplier collaboration is critical. And they say, oh, but how do I get it, right? So there are obviously human elements, but there is also an element like a lot of times, maybe your supplier that you're dealing with is really small. They don't want to expose that they don't have any digitization in their system, or they don't have any systems except for, you know, some kind of manual spreadsheets. So you have to build a system so the suppliers feel comfortable in coming to your system where they are not exposing their weaknesses, if you might, or their own internal system. So you have to make it secure, but at the same time, you need to be able to take their spreadsheet inputs if that's what they are comfortable in, or give them a manual portal where they can go in and enter things in a form. So we learned all that stuff by working with the customers that these are really issues that once you build the system, you got to think of these little, little things, which unfortunately, when you start coming in into the market as a software company, purely with no experience in supply chain, you don't think of those issues because you've never been on the ground. You don't know the ground realities. You just think, I'm going to give you the best possible software that is looking really, really cool, but underneath it, there are a lot of holes. So this is sort of what we learned in the process that when you do digitization, you got to think end to end, you got to think of all these layers. And I think if you only digitize one layer, you're going to get cracks in the other layer so fast. I mean, that doesn't mean you, you can do all that in one time, but you have to have a plan to say, okay, how am I going to bring all these things together? So I know it was a long answer, but I hope I answered your question. Yes, very, very helpful, Paul. So a few times you mentioned the role of individuals and how they're interacting with the technology and the decisions they're making, the choices that they're making to escalate to not, how to partner, how to not, what to do, what not to do. As you know, I spend a lot of my time on the people side of those mm -hmm those yeah. types of transformations and coaching people to build capability and skill sets so that when they do interact with the systems, they have that background 
to rest on. So can you talk to us about the role of the skills and people throughout these digital transformations? What do people in the organization need and, and what is it that helps the transformation be successful versus maybe you've seen where organizations might struggle because a certain set of capabilities wasn't there or so talk to us about the link between the people capability and then really leveraging the technology to its fullest. So I think people issues are very critical. So you said it right, right? No amount of transformation is ever going to succeed if you don't bring your people along. Um, so I think um, the, the issue with the technology has been that it tends to get more and more complex. So I think you've got to start thinking in a modular way, meaning if I am a planner, I got to create a workbench for a planner that planner understands that is in the language of the planner. If I am a buyer, I need a different workbench. If I am an executive, I have to have a different lens. And so I can't give everybody the same lens in the first place. And secondly, a lot of times there is a there is an element of training that has to be always there in order for people to get over that hump and start to use the software, right? So a lot of times uh, after we you know, finish the implementations, we actually spend sometimes as long as three months working in making sure that people actually get comfortable and start to use the technology. Now, so our goal was how do I make sure that the technology isn't complex? So one of the things that people get caught up in is, you know, all the technologies are sort of built on this system that, hey, you know, coding is easy. You should just add some coding and modify the systems. And uh, we said, no, 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 we have never seen that in, in our business. And so we got to make sure a different system comes into place. So we built a whole no-code platform where you can build the system, you can modify it. Now, we don't leave it to customers to do that change today because we felt that we have to work with them before they get comfortable. So we actually work hand in hand with them to make sure they understand it, and then we will help them do it. Um, but over time, I think these things will happen where customers will be able to do any of these changes and make it feel and change the way they want to make it look, right? The other transition you have to make sure is that even if you come up with a new technology, you can't expect people overnight to change. So one of the, you know, one of the biggest tools that we are all uh, very much in love with in the supply chain business is the Excel spreadsheet. So we had to make sure that you can upload the data from your spreadsheet into the system, as well as you can download it if that's what you have to do to do your job. So we make sure that you start with that. So that way you don't feel inundated with like, I have to go change my behavior today. And so that those are things that we thought about in the design of the system because we knew the user. And that made a huge difference in how we kind of get the acceptance from you know, various teams. And you know, we continuing, we're continuing to think about you know, I think one thing we have seen is supply chain is kind of becoming a lost art. 
because the new younger people don't want to go towards supply chain. And we believe that just relying on muscle memory of the past is not going to help companies scale. So how do we capture all of that knowledge and that muscle memory and automate some of the systems? So, you know, you heard, you hear the buzzwords, AI, machine learning and all that. So we got all those buzzwords basically. But the idea really is how do I take that information that we have learned over the years and automate these processes so that the new people, when they come in, they don't get inundated with like, oh my God, I don't know what this is. And, and so we are also continuing to you know, work on how do we create new training courses to train new people into supply chain? Because you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I have worked in other industries, you know, banking and finance, right? They're, they're huge amount of analytics work. There is a lot of work that has gone on for years. But manufacturing kind of took a backseat in a lot of ways. And I think COVID taught us new lessons and forced us to say, no, 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 you've got to change it. I mean, the lessons were there for a while, but people were just always building a five-year plan. And it was forced upon us to say, act fast, act fast. And so I think it's, it's that transformation of the whole manufacturing world, I think, which digital transformation is bringing on, the new automation is bringing on. And I think that is going to help us bring a lot of new talent into the market, which was hesitant to come into it before. Speaking of five-year plans, what's on yours? What's coming up next? What challenges are you working on? What, what's your vision? Where are you headed? As a company, our vision is to sort of make it in such a way that at some day you will have, you know, like a digital hub you come into where there are different services available to you and you decide what you need and you click on it and everything gets installed for you and immediately you have the data showing you the results. Uh, obviously today it is hard um, and it is getting easier and easier, but that's sort of the vision we are trying to deliver to where there is no reason for a small company or a large company or a mid-sized company, no matter where you are. And if you are a planner, here are the five things you really need. Like, you know, you, you're looking for your short sheet um, or you want to look at capacity planning. Uh, you can just come into this portal, pick what you need and quickly say, these are the data sources that I am able to, uh, you know, have to ingest from and the system works magic. And in, you know, 10 minutes, you are in production. There's no reason to have a five-year plan uh, to implement SAP and um, put a supply chain module on top of it and then pay $5 million to a system integrator. You know, I think those days people are going to rebel against it uh, over time. So we have to figure out how do we automate this process? And, you know, systems integrators will continue to add value in this, in this business. You know, there is always going to be a data integration issues. Um, there is always going to be, you know, sort of building that whole process from end to end to make things work. Uh, but the way the software industry is heading, not just supply chain, right? Any software now you can, you can kind of go to a website and buy something like you could buy a Salesforce today 
but that doesn't mean you know everybody will deploy the salesforce the same way so there are there are modifications and changes and adoption to your new needs and that is how i think supply chain is going to be over time it's going to be like the you know we want to be that salesforce of supply chain where we give you a platform and you can continue to make changes and you can be the integrator or an internal developer or whatever and you actually don't need to be a developer that's the beauty because we're going to be no code platform always well thank you paul i really appreciate you sharing your insights with us today and as we close out do you have any final thoughts and one of my favorite questions i ask my guests is do you have any tips for making the world a better place i think the part that that really uh you know, on a very personal level uh, that I feel bad about and I wish I could have a magic wand and change it is it's the, it's the sort of the division of uh, people's psyche that has happened where, you know, while growing up, you know, you listen to the radio, that was your only option or TV. And, you know, you were listening to the rock music and you were listening to, uh, you know, jazz and whatever else. They were all sort of embedded into while you were listening. And you probably picked one more favorite than the other, but you kind of got a taste of everything. In today's world, if you are into rock, you know, Spotify is going to tell you, you may like this. If you like a movie of a certain genre, Netflix is going to tell you, you may like this. Which means you never experience the taste of anything else. And unfortunately, that is what is happening to us, right? We're getting divided as humanity, not just in the US, this is happening globally. And I think we need to figure out a way so we listen to each other, get a better perspective on everyone else. I mean, you know, Social media was supposed to help us a lot. Unfortunately, it has been used negatively to divide people. And so we kind of developed that new tolerance for others and their ideas and not always be, I am on the right or I'm on the left. And I think that part of it just needs to be changed. And that is something if I wish I could change with a magic wand, I would love to do that. So on that note, we'll all go turn on our radios this afternoon and go on to Spotify and maybe find a new playlist that we've never listened to. Thanks again, Paul. Really appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks for listening to The Supply Chain Show. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and wherever you stream your content. If you want to know more, check out my website, crystallee.net. Until next time.